Let me encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Luke's going to be sharing with us in a moment, as I said, kicking off our new sermon series, focusing again, reminding us, as uh, we've talked about this morning, having things that help us remember uh, the vision. I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 2 as Luke focuses on belonging. So feel free to follow the words on the screen. Made alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you were, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Luke, I invite you to come. Let me pray as uh, Luke unpacks that for us. 
Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is living and active. Thank you for the sense of identity that gives us as your people here in this place. I just pray for Luke now, Lord, as he shares with us that you would give us open hearts, open minds and open ears to hear what your spirit has to say through him this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning as we come together and we open up this passage together this morning. It's been good to spend a little bit of time together praying this morning for new beginnings, hasn't it? For people moving up in school years, for uh, new babies, for new engagements. It's great just to spend some time at the beginning of today and really, indeed, this year praying for these things. Because in church life, in so many ways, shape, or form, September marks the start of the new year. And over the course of the past few years, we've talked a lot, haven't we, about new seasons. We've talked about new beginnings and new seasons coming out of COVID. And so often what we've found is there's been a lot of false starts along the way where we think we're entering a time of new beginnings. And then it's all come crashing down on us once again. But really, September in the life of the church is that kind of natural point and natural place where new things happen. As we pray for, kids go back to school, ministries start up again, people begin to emerge after summer breaks once more. And as we stand at the start of yet another new season... It's important for us as a church to spend a little bit of time focusing once again on who we are, who God is calling us to be, and where God is calling us to go. A while back, you might remember that we looked together at the life of a man named Jacob. Jacob had an incredible ability to find himself in times of trouble over and over again. And there was this one time where Jacob finds himself in trouble. And what does he do? He flees. And he ends up in a place called Bethel. And when he's there, God meets with him in an incredibly powerful way. Years later, Jacob found himself once again in a time of trouble and transition, not really knowing what to do. And what does God say to him at that point? Go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where I met with you. Go back to the place where you knew something about me, because in going back and remembering, you will once again find the way to go forwards, because you'll remember who I am calling you to be. So over the next month as a church, we're going to go back to our Bethel, not necessarily really talking about anything new, but simply once again catching a glimpse of who God is, who he is calling us to be, once again getting excited and infused for what he is calling us to do and to tap into everything that he has for us as a church. And with that in mind, if you're new to the church or maybe you've simply just forgotten, when we talk about vision here, we really essentially land things around five key words, belonging, believing, serving, impacting, and multiplying. We want Hope Baptist Church to be a church where every single person can find a home, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your race or your gender or any other social thing. We want Hope Baptist Church to be a place 
where you can call home and know that you are welcome here. We want Hope Baptist Church to be a place where people can really engage in Scripture and go deeper with Jesus than maybe they ever have been before. Because we believe that it's in a deep-rooted relationship with Jesus that ultimately our lives are changed. We want people to know the gifts that God has given them. Do you know God has gifted you? You have gifts that God has given you. We want you to know what those gifts are and we want you to be able to use those gifts in the context which God is calling you to do. You have a unique part to play in the story and the kingdom of God. And you know what? We as a church are weaker when you are not part of things. I'm going to change mics. I think that's all right. And break the other one. I'm sorry about the fill. We want Hope Baptist Church to be a church which has a real impact on our community, on our city, on our nation, and on our world. Because we believe that it is the gospel which changes lives. So we want to see those in the streets around us engage with the gospel in a radical way. We want to have an impact as a church that results in Peveril being changed because they've come into contact with the risen Lord Jesus and as a result we want to multiply. We want to see so many people come to know Jesus and take that next step in following him that as a church we outgrow this building and that we have to ask the question what is God calling us to do because we simply can't fit everyone in. You know we've got a baptism service next week. We're going to Wembury for this one but my heart has always been that our baptism pool here is open on a regular basis because we're seeing people come to know Jesus and then getting transformed and want to declare that publicly. Who is God calling us to be? I believe this is who he is calling us to be. A belonging church, a believing church, a serving church, an impacting church and a multiplying church. And with that in mind, I want us to look together at this passage that we have heard read to us today in Ephesians chapter 2. It's one of my favourite passages in the entire Bible. And essentially... What we see when we look at Ephesians chapter 2 together is Paul, the writer of Ephesians, telling us something about our identity, who we are at our core. Identity is such a major thing right now, isn't it, for so, so many people. We all want to be identified with a label of some sort. People are desperate to give themselves a label. Why? Because we're desperate to know who we are. We're desperate to know what our existence actually means. And we're desperate for our, our existence to have some sort of purpose. And what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 as we open up this particular passage today is that Paul tells us that each and every human being that has ever lived already has an identity. We already have one from the moment that we are born. And this is the identity Paul says that we have. We are dead in our transgressions. We are far off from God. And we are aliens and strangers when it comes to the family of God. You see, 
The identity that is laid out for us in Scripture is actually a bleak one. It says that we have no chance. We're dead, meaning there's nothing we can physically do about who we are. A dead man cannot raise himself to life. You see, because of Adam in the Garden of Eden, when he decided he was going to turn his back on God and go in a separate direction and do something totally different from what God had wanted him to do, The Bible tells us that each and every one of us have been infected with this disease called sin. That we all do things wrong, we all say things wrong, we all act in a wrong way, which effectively says to God, I don't want anything to do with you. And you might look at that and you might think, well, how is that fair? Why? Because Adam, all those years ago in the Garden of Eden, turning his back on God, means that I have this identity, which means I'm dead, I'm far off from God, and I have no place in the family of God. That doesn't seem fair to me. I I think it's fair for two reasons when we think about this. Number one, if it were you or I in the Garden of Eden all of those years ago, we would have done exactly the same thing as Adam. Why? Adam had a better start than us. He was perfect at the time. He knew no sin at the beginning, and yet he still turned his back on God. So we, in a sinful state, thinking we could do better, means absolutely nothing. We would have done exactly the same as Adam. Secondly, think about it a little bit like this. A child who was born maybe in this country in 1940 did not choose to be at war with Germany. But because of decisions that their parents made or those in government made at the time, because they were born in this country at that time, it meant that by nature, they were at war with Germany. And just as a two-day-old child can't therefore turn around to his God and say, God, I want nothing to do with you, they're still infected with that sin disease because by nature, they are children of Adam. The identity which scripture says each and every one of us has, is a bleak one. But what Paul shows us here in Ephesians chapter 2 is that there is hope. There is genuine hope because of a tiny little word which appears three times in this particular passage today. That tiny little word, but... And I want to look at these three occasions very briefly this morning, and I want to touch on how Paul uses this particular word to completely change the focus of the passage. And then I want us to hone in on one of these particular words and look at what it tells us really today about our vision as being a belonging church, what it means for us to belong. So let's look at the first one, verses three and four says this, all of us have lived at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, And following the desires of our thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. That's amazing, isn't it? That is absolutely amazing. We were dead, meaning there was nothing we could do about our situation. We couldn't raise ourselves to life. But because of his great love for us, he has made us alive. God's love for you today flows from his own heart. And the most amazing thing about this story is that Jesus coming to earth was never God's plan B. 
When I was 21, my nan bought me a moped for my 21st birthday. I was so excited. I couldn't drive at the time, but now I had this little bike, which meant I could get around anywhere in the city that I wanted to. I finally had some independence because I had this mode of transport. And I knew, looking at this shiny new moped sitting outside my house, that if I was to ride on this moped, there was a chance I was going to fall off of this moped. But the reward was greater than the risk. I knew I might hurt myself by riding it, but I wanted my freedom, so I went about it anyway. And at the time, I was working for Morrison's. I was working night shifts in Morrison's. I was stacking shelves all night long. And there was one morning, after a particularly heavy night of stacking the baked beans, I got on my mopeds, and I drove home on the mopeds. And I was almost falling asleep. And the end of the road came a little bit quicker than I was expecting it to come. So I pulled the brake as hard as I could, and this bike has skidded out from underneath me, and I lay in the middle of the road. And you know what? The first thought that I had when I laid in the middle of the road that day was not, am I hurt, am I okay? But this is going to cost me. And it did. You know, that little bike was never quite the same again. But you know the amazing thing about this God that we're here talking about and we're worshipping? God didn't sit up in heaven before the creation of the world and think, you know what, I could create human beings and they might turn their back on me, but you know, the reward is greater than the risk, so I'll do it anyway and just see what happens. No! When God created humanity, before God created humanity, he knew exactly what it was going to cost him. He knew exactly from the beginning that humanity were going to turn their back on him and he was going to have to send Jesus to pay the ultimate price to die a death on a cross that you and I deserve in order that we might be free and might live. You know, Jesus was never, ever the plan B. He knew what it was going to cost him. That is how much he loves us, church. We were dead in our transgressions, but because of his great love, he made us alive because Jesus Christ came and paid the price. And that completely changes the outcome for us. It gives us a reason to live. It gives us a future and a hope. But more than that, we see this in verses 12 and 13. Remember, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You and I were not only dead in our transgressions, Our very identity meant that we had no right to come and stand before this awesome and holy God. We were far off. We were excluded from fellowship with him. There's this account in the Old Testament of a man named Job. I'm sure you might know the story, but Job was a man who had absolutely everything. He had health, he had wealth, he had family, he had land, he had it all. And then in the blink of an eye, it was all taken away from him. He lost everything. He had some friends that came to see him and they said, Job, you must have done something really bad for all of these calamities to come upon you. You need to go to God and you need to ask God exactly what you have done in order that you might be able to put it right. But this was Job's response to his friends. He says this, He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that I might confront him in court. 
If only there was someone who could mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that the terrors would not frighten me anymore. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it is now, I cannot. Do you see what Job is asking for here? He's asking for the gospel. He realized that he had no right to come and stand before a holy and awesome God. He needed a mediator, someone who could come and lay his hands upon both of them. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He comes and he stands in the gap. He mediated between God and man. He made a way for us to come before God when there simply was no way. Our identity, because of Jesus, goes from someone who is excluded to someone who is included. It goes from someone who is far off to someone who has been brought near. It goes from someone who has no right to stand before an awesome and holy God to someone who can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of everything that Christ has done. That's the identity that Jesus Christ gives to us. The identity that every human being man, woman and child is born with is a bleak one and no amount of man-given labels is ever going to change that. The identity that Christ gives, however, changes absolutely everything. And even more than that, and this is where I want us to hone in on this morning, the third but that I am going to bring you this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 to 22 and it says this, consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the firm foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Because of Jesus, you and I were once dead in our transgressions, but have been brought to life. Because of Jesus, you and I were once far off from him, but have been brought near. And because of Jesus, you and I, who were once foreigners, aliens and strangers, have been adopted into his family and have a place to call home among the people of God. This is why belonging is at the central core of our vision. Because the reality is, none of us, not one, are good enough on our own to stand before an awesome and holy God, but Jesus has made the way. He has given us hope and a home. And we want to be a people who extend that home to everyone that we come into contact with. You know, It always amazes me when I think of the account of the Last Supper. We talk about it here every time we have a communion together. Jesus sitting around the table with a bunch of friends, knowing that in just a short few moments, one of those friends is going to go and do the unthinkable. One of those friends is going to go and betray him, sell him, so he ends up going to the cross. But at that table, where they share bread and wine, who is excluded from the table? No one. No one. 
Not even the one who is going to go and do what is totally and utterly unthinkable. And you know, we want hope to be a place of welcome where everyone can come under the sound of the gospel. Because the reality is none of us have the power to change anyone. It's only the Holy Spirit lovingly and gently convicting people that brings about genuine life transformation. So our hopes and our dreams for this place is that we are truly a place of welcome. From the moment that a person walks through the door, they get a sense that they are home. We want everyone in this church to be part of our life groups. Here at the church, that's the way we want people to intentionally walk with others this journey, for love, support, for nurture, for care along the way. And with that in mind, if you're not currently part of a life group, I want to invite you to come along here on Wednesday night. We're going to, we've got an evening called Life Groups Together. We're encouraging every life group to come here Wednesday night. And we're going to be talking a little bit about vision again and discussing around tables. It'll be a normal kind of life group event, but it will be together. It's going to be a great event as we kick off this series together. And if you're not part of a life group, this is an opportunity just to come along and find out a little bit more. And we will do our best to connect you with a life group that you can be part of and walk this journey with them. We want hope to be a place of love, support and nurture where no one is forgotten, where everyone is valued and everyone has a voice. And yes, I know there will be people here in this room sitting here thinking right now, well, we're not very good at that, are we? And the truth is, at times, we haven't done a good job. The truth is the church of Jesus Christ as a whole at times have not done a good job when it comes to belonging, when it comes to welcome, when it comes to including people in the table. But we want to be better at it. That's why it's our vision. That's why it's central to who we are. And there will be people here who have been deeply hurt by churches and by people in churches saying things and doing things which have just not been acceptable. And when it comes to belonging, we are not there yet. We have a long way to go, but our heart is to be a place where everyone can truly belong. From the moment that they walk through the door, that is the church that we aspire to be. And you know, church, if that is to be a reality, if we're going to be a church where everyone belongs, let me tell you something. It's not my job to make that happen. It's our job to make that happen. Everyone has a part to play. If we're going to be a truly belonging church, your contribution is as important as every single person's. If we're going to be genuinely a church that does this well, we must take responsibility to look out for the lonely, the vulnerable, the hurting, and bring Jesus to them. And with that in mind, one really simple application to this sermon this morning. One really simple application. COVID has been a horrible time for the church. Not just hope, but every church. And what's happened during this time is that people have wandered. Some people have gone to other churches, and that's absolutely fine. But I can think of many, many people who are currently not part of any church who were once part of this family on a regular basis. One simple application this week you can probably think of them too. Text them. Invite them to come and be part of things again. You might get a no, but let's put this stuff into practice. 
Let's begin to be the church that we want to be. Every single one of us has a part to play. We need people with the gift of hospitality to join our host team. We need people who are willing to open up their homes and offer meals to one another. We need people who are going to intentionally walk with each other. The fact of the matter is that if we're going to do this, at times it will make us uncomfortable. Because the reality is it means probably mixing with people who aren't necessarily like us. It means offering that extension of welcome to those who maybe don't even share the same views as us at times. It means looking out for every single person that they might come and hear the gospel for themselves and be transformed. It calls for us to be willing to lay down our own agendas at times, our own desires and our own wants in order to build up others. Why? Because we were dead in our transgressions. There was nothing we could do about the situation, yet Jesus comes along and he changes it for us. We were far off from God. They had no right to come before him, but Jesus comes along and he brings us near. We weren't part of the family of God, but Jesus comes along and he adopts us into his family. We are now made alive in Christ, brought near and part of his family. Let me ask you, church, who have you spoken to recently outside your normal circles on a Sunday morning? Dream with me for a minute. And Zoe's going to come and help us dream a bit more shortly. But what does it look like? What does it really look like if we're going to be a church where every single person can find a place to belong? And what is your part to play in that story? How does church look differently if that truly is at our core and at our heart. Galatians 6 verse 10 tells us this, and I'll close with this. Therefore, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially those in the household of the family of believers. Why? Because when we get it right, it speaks to a dying and hurting world who is desperate for identity and desperate for family, that there is a better way to live there is a family they can be part of, and there is a God who changes their lives. Let's pray together. Father God, we recognize that at times, the family of Jesus Christ has not always got it right when it comes to this subject. We thank you, Lord God, for the identity that you have given each and every one of us. That when we put our trust in Jesus, we're no longer aliens and strangers. We're no longer far off and we're no longer dead in our transgressions, but you completely turn it around for us. You make us alive. You give us a future, a purpose and a hope. Lord, help us extend that truth to every single person we come into contact with. And help us truly here be a place of welcome where people can find a home and feel like they belong. In Jesus' name, amen.